the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. I'm Pastor Scott. Great to be with you. You can always send me an email, by the way, Scott at kkla.com. I hope you had a great weekend, a great Father's Day weekend. I had a great weekend. I hope yours was, too. It was not a good weekend if you were the Dodgers for multiple reasons. And uh, this weekend, of course, was the Pride Night festivities that were controversial because of the honoring of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Here's how it went at Dodger Stadium. So there's hardly anybody in the stadium uh, during all of this. This happened about 6.30. Game time was just after 7 o'clock. And uh, so that happened. There were protests outside, and uh, it was a big weekend uh, for all of that. I'm wondering, where do we go from here? To talk with us more about this, my guest is Jason Romano, director of media at Sports Spectrum and host of the Sports Spectrum podcast. You can find all of that at SportsSpectrum.com. Jason, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. How are you? Hello, Pastor Scott. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. You know, we have here in Los Angeles, of course, one of the big issues this weekend. Uh, besides the fact of the Dodgers getting swept by the Giants and losing 15 to nothing, their worst loss in 125 years. Uh, <laughs> how many teams can say their worst or best of anything in 125 years? I don't know, man. That, that's not it's not a good look for a team that's just dominated the last, what, decade or two. But right. yeah. Well, we are here. We've dominated the regular season, as my non-Dodger friend friends, Dodger fan friends, like to let me know. We got a World Series championship in there somewhere. You know, though. we Can do, you... but it's a whole other conversation. Does twenty twenty really count? We'll just skip. Yeah. We'll just skip that part. <laughs> Fair know, Fair okay. So seriously, though, we have this controversy and uh, what happened at the stadium. Uh, I think most people are aware of it's Pride festivities, which have been going on at ballparks and of all sports. I think now for twenty years. Yeah. Uh, it's not new. I think this year is different in general because there's so many things having to do with kids and schools, so it's on people's mind in a different way. Um, but also for the Dodgers that they they welcomed this group in, and there were protests, a couple thousand people at protests outside of Dodger Stadium. You know, what do you as a guy who works with players and a guy who works with Christian players and uh, in the sports business? You know, how do you see this, and where do we go from here when when people are thinking of this? What's next? How do we move on from this? Well, that's a great question. The moving on part, I just think, you know, you have to kind of go through things to then learn from them, right? And hopefully the Dodgers learned a little bit from this and listened to some of their players, including their Hall of Fame pitcher, Clayton Kershaw, who came out and and was not happy um, that they were honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And I think when you look at the situation, you know, know, like you said, Pride Nights happen and they've happened for – 
for years in all sports and even in outside of sports and in, mm-hmm. in, in companies celebrate and all that. And I get it. And my first initial thought is as Christians, we shouldn't back down from what we believe, but I also think we shouldn't expect organizations or, or, you know, sports teams that they're not Christian teams, right? right. So they, they, they can operate however they want. And I, I still don't think you should, you know, compromise your beliefs or, or what you believe in your faith. And I think that's why Clayton Kershaw, you know, came out and spoke out and Trevor Williams, another baseball pitcher. And, and there, I know that there were many players that did not issue statements or speak out against it, but that certainly weren't aligned with the honoring of an organization like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence who outright mocked, you know, the Catholic faith. And I think that's why you saw the protests. Yeah. Uh, personally for me, uh, if I'm being honest, Pastor Scott, I would like all of this to not be a part of baseball. I would just like to go to a game. And as a fan, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s as a kid who would go to a game. And if it was, you know, uh, they were giving away, you know, cap night. You right. know, I grew up in New York and I go to a Yankees or a Mets game and it was cap night. And you go and the first 10,000 fans would get a Yankees cap and you'd sit and you'd watch a game. You'd have a burger or, uh, you know, a, a hot dog or something and you'd watch baseball. And I get, you know, promotions and I get, you know, trying to uh, appeal to audiences and get different kind of audiences to come and watch your games. I get that. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think if you didn't do that, though, you, you'd still be inclusive. Like, I think Clayton Kershaw said that in his statement that we, we agree that baseball should be for everybody. Yeah. You know, whatever your orientation or your beliefs or your religion or whatever. And honestly, that's what sports should be, right, Pastor Scott? Like, when I go to a game and if I'm sitting there – at a Mets game, I'm a New York Mets fan. I have my daughter, you know, I'm not looking to the person to the left or the right of me and asking them like, what do they believe or what's their orientation or their gender? I'm just there as a Mets fan. They're there as a Mets fan and we're watching a game. You don't ask the person that you're sitting next to who they voted for in the last election. I don't care who they vote for. Right. Exactly. You care who they're rooting for on the field at that moment. Sure. And at that moment, honestly, that's what base, you know, sports, not just baseball is supposed to do is kind of unify people from all sorts of walks of life to be able to come together and not have to sort of choose a side per se, but to be together. And I think what we saw, you know, even with Pride Nights, I think, you know, we can still say, hey, you know what, every person who believes however they should believe should be able to come to a baseball game and watch it. Um, I just wish that we weren't doing the honoring of a different, I don't know. I mean, they're having a Christian a faith. Right. A faith so that's the next thing that's coming is Christian faith and family night. And I've been to those before, and it's a good tool I to bring to. your you know, to bring your kids to, and they can get. You know, it's a, it's a great thing to hear from a Clayton Kershaw or somebody like that who's not dad, but who says they believe in Jesus. I love that. And, yeah. I, and we've done stories on the faith and family nights. The St. Louis Cardinals are prominent in baseball to do that. I've actually been to a New York Mets night when Daryl Strawberry spoke at the mm. faith and family night a couple years ago. I, I'm not against those, but if you're going to, you know, I, I like that. Oh, well, we have to do one. We have to do them all. Right. And right. you can probably do, you know, uh, I don't know, Muslim nights or something like that. Like if you really want to go into all the religions or all the beliefs, they could do that. Yeah. I think if you don't do any of them, it's probably a lot easier um, to just say, yeah, we, everybody's welcome. Everybody's inclusive. We don't accept any bigotry. We don't accept any hate. And we just move on. And we play ball. Uh, you know, we play ball. Yeah. It's a baseball game. Right, you know, exactly. When you're talking about the, the different things you did as a kid, there's just so many memories. Because I loved those games. I, went, I had some friends who had season tickets. 
and yeah. we went all the time. And, and you got a, you got a hat, we got a calendar, we got uh, we used to get baseballs until Dodger fans decided to throw them at the New York Mets and uh, yes. forfeit that game. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work out so good. No, if there's no more ball that. night because of that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was not at that game. Um, but those were great memories. And I think that people have a longing for that. Is there any sense, and you work with all the professional sports, is there any sense that teams might pull back from some of these things and just get back to the heart of whatever the sport is that they're playing? Is there any conversation about that? Or is it just marketing, marketing, marketing until somebody wakes up and says, we're actually dividing our crowd, not unifying them? Well, I think... I think these teams are, are like any business, right? It's a bottom line industry, you yeah. know, and if it starts affecting the bottom line, when you start, you know, weaving into Rocky and Rocky waters and, and, and deep waters, I think we've seen this with some of these other companies recently, particularly yeah. a beer company that you, uh, if that starts affecting the bottom line, that's when conversations are, are needed to be had. And I'm not saying that it's affecting the Dodgers bottom line or, you know, any baseball team's bottom line. But if you start doing things where there's protests on either on whatever mm-hmm. it is, like let's say you were doing faith and family night and atheists were protesting outside of Dodger Stadium, you know, would that would I be mad about that? They have every right to do that. Well, and I'm wondering about say, that with the faith and family night. Is there going to be another pro- counter protest, you know, for that? They they lit that fuse, I think, unfortunately. Unfortunately, they did. And I think that's the the the, the waters, the murky waters, the rocky waters, however you want to put it, that we're we're diving into here when we start doing things like this. And I think the intention on, and just to be completely frank, I think the intention is always a good intention when you're, when you're doing something like this from a, from a secular yeah, organization a company standpoint. standpoint. Right. I think you're, Oh, we want to be inclusive and we want to show everybody love and support, but I think you're treading, you know, deeply, you know, dangerously here, I guess, if you're, if, and if, if this starts re, you know, having protests and other things, because anybody could protest anything if they really right. want to. Well, now it's just like, well, let's just wipe our hands clean and not do any of these anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we'll see that. It's an interesting time, right? Yeah. Pastor Scott, that we're living in. There's so much yeah. going on. And, and there's always everything a new is line. <laughs> Everything's offensive, it right. feels like. Yeah. <laughs> and we should be more offended by the play on the field than anything else. That should oh, be our deal. Especially if you're a Dodgers fan right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm, I'm offended when you take the, the guy having his first game ever and he's throwing a no-hitter through six innings and you take him out. I'm offended by that. Uh, oh, yeah. And that's where it should stay, right? Like right. a sports fan. And listen, what we do is a niche thing at Sports Spectrum. We, we highlight players of faith in the sports world. But we're not trying to we, – we are very open about what we are. And so if you want to be a niche, you know, pride organization that highlights, you know, people who are gay in the sports, well, go for it. Like, that's your thing. But I think in the sports general terms of the game itself, I think it's – I don't know. It's it's a yeah. hard place for me to say let's keep doing this if, if we're going to have all of this pushback on all these sides. Yep, it's hurting everything. My guest is Jason Romano. He's the director of media at Sports Spectrum. Uh, Christian uh, Sports – uh, magazine that's online. You can find it at sportspectrum.com. It's a podcast and more. A lot of great resources there. You know, as we talk about this, there are in the midst of all this some great examples, though, of Christian players giving their testimony in situations that are also secular, that are also part of the media. Just they're on ESPN or they're on whatever their local sports network is. That's- you know, that is something that you're able to catch with what you do and really promote. 
Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and that's where I think if you're asked a question, and this goes for any person who believes anything, obviously I'm a follower of Jesus and the Bible tells me in first Peter to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's within me. So if I'm asked about like, where does my joy come from? You know, why, why am I trying to find, you know, purpose and meaning outside of the job that I do? Well, I want to be prepared to tell people about it. And I love the athletes that do that. And I think it's very appropriate in a post game setting if a question is asked that helps them pertain to their faith, if they can point to it, to answer it and talk about it completely. I think the, even the responses from some of these these players with regards to what the Dodgers just went through, you know, they're doing that to kind of stand for their faith. And yeah. I, I think they're doing it in love, and I think they're doing it uh, in the most gentle, kind, as, as Jesus talks about, way you can do it. Um, I, I love when they're outspoken. I don't think you want to force that though, right? Like if somebody asks you a question, Pastor Scott, and says, you know, tell me about the play on third and 10 that you completed for a touchdown to help your team to victory. And you say, well, I want to tell you about Jesus, my Lord and Savior. And listen, I love, I love Jesus. And I, I, I understand why players might do that. But I also think you need to answer the question. And that's right. also you know, a way to represent Christ is to be kind and gentle and respectful and answer the question that was given to you. But I mean, we saw it recently with the Oklahoma softball team, right? Like how great was that? Yeah. We played uh, all of those clips of uh, those women, the Oklahoma Sooners uh, women's softball team won the championship for the sixth time, I believe in 10 years. And these women on, on ESPN, they were asked a good, they didn't, they didn't shift the question away from what it was. Like they weren't asked about a specific play, like you said, and let's say, well, Jesus was with me on third base and it's, you know, it gets weird. They shared about their faith and that was just super powerful all the way through. It was amazing to watch. And and I kind of knew it was coming and I'll, I'll explain mm-hmm. in a second because we went and did a story sports spectrum with the Oklahoma softball team in Norman, Oklahoma last November. We, we flew out to Norman. We went to their facility. We sat down with their head coach, Patty Gasso. We sat down with Grace Lyons, their team captain, and you know Jordy Ball at the time, who was the best pitcher in the country. She's now since transferred to Nebraska, and a couple other players. And we got to, we were basically going there to try and figure out how at a, a secular public university like Oklahoma, right? could you, could you develop what I thought was a culture of faith within this locker room? You know, it's not a Christian school. It's not a Christian organization by any means. It is in Oklahoma, so it might be a little different than if it was in Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. or even Los Angeles. But it's a public university, and they're all just doing it by living it out in the way that they go about their business, in the way that they treat other people, and then not being ashamed and moments in the way that they love their teammates. Even their coach, Patty Gasso, said, listen, I'm here to be the best coach that I can be, so ultimately God can – you know, the doors can be open for God to save these kids' souls. That's right. And I'm like, wow, that's powerful. But she's also a pretty darn good coach when you're 59-1 and one and winning six titles in 10 years. Like, clearly she's a good coach, too. But the purpose and to understand that our identity isn't in Jesus, it's in – or is not in sports, it's in Jesus. And they just live that out. And to, so the, to see that come full circle – just a couple of weeks ago when they were getting ready to play in the women's college world series championship and were asked, where does their joy come from? That's right. How are they so com- comfortable and confident? Well, boom, it opened up an opportunity for all three of those players on that panel, including Grace Lyons to point to Christ. And that's what I think we're meant to do. We're not to force our faith ever. 
Uh, but we're, be, we're to be prepared. So when people do ask, where does this come from? Tell me about, you know, where your identity lies and what's what you're most passionate about. For them, it's Jesus. And yeah. that was really refreshing to see. And I think people should hear and understand that what a great victory that is, you know, for the Lord in a secular environment. You know, I, I learned about that actually from somebody's tweet that said uh, ESPN didn't want to play this at all. And then when I yeah. wa- when I watched it, I thought, but you know what? They asked the question about joy, and they gave the answer to the question that was asked. And you know whether or not there's somebody at ESPN who was grumpy about it, I don't know. But it got played, and millions of people ultimately saw it because they're winners. They work hard, and I think it I think it matters to do all things for the glory of God, including play softball if that's what you're called to do at that moment. And then you got an opportunity to give glory to God for it. I think God opens those doors up. It's amazing when you see that. Completely. And I wish that, you know, again, I don't have an issue with, I don't know. I, I, you know, secular organizations, I think, you know, and ESPN is that, right? They're the biggest sports media company in the world, but they're, they're not a Christian organization. So I wouldn't expect them to ask questions about people's faith. And this, in this instance, it was a question about, you know, where they find joy or where they find peace Mm -hmm. or, or how they're able to be so relaxed. But I don't like the fact that they try to, you know, edit that stuff out. And they're not the only ones, by the way. So That's many right. others. And I used to work there. I worked for 17 years at ESPN, so I get it. But I don't think this is who people are. And if they were giving glory to Allah or if they were giving glory to, you know, something else that helped them find peace or comfort, great. For these girls, it was it was Jesus. And so leave it in. Like there's millions of people around the world who go to church and who love the Lord. And, you know, I, I know people, many of them who work at ESPN who love Jesus and love the Lord. Um, so why take that out? Right. And right. I, so I'm not saying they did take it out. I don't even know if it ever aired on ESPN, if no, I'm I being honest. It, I think it did, actually. But, I, you okay. know, I, I just think that when that the Lord opens up those doors for you when you are following yes. him. And that's okay. something that we can pray about with the Christians who are on television when we see them, whether it's sports or some other kind of celebrity, that there are Christians who are there who are sometimes are in an awkward situation, but then have the opportunity to share their faith to an audience that isn't Christian. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I think you also have to make sure that you're good at your job, right? And and then do that for the glory of God so that when you are on a big platform like that at the Women's College World Series, and you're asked, now you have that platform and you're ready to point people to the reason that, of the hope that you have within you, which is Christ. But you have to be excellent at what you do, too. That's right. Um, you're not going to get that platform if you're you know, in last place you know, playing in softball. You're going to get that platform. And you can still give glory to God, by the way, in last place. But the platform that we're talking about here, Scott, that comes with the pedestal of an ESPN, that doesn't happen unless you're really, really good. And by the way, Oklahoma might be the most dominant sports team in the country on whatever level. That's I don't right. care what level, professional right. or college, but they have that platform, but ultimately they use it for good. And that's what, that's what's awesome. They are. My guest is Jason Romano from Sports Spectrum. Uh, before you go, Jason, tell us about Sports Spectrum. And I think anybody listening who is a sports fan or if you have kids or a grandkid or somebody who is a sports fan, uh, this is something you need to know about and something that you should check into for, for them. Tell us about Sports Spectrum. Yeah, we've been around for a long time with the goal and the purpose. We look at it as ministry. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you know about what ministry is, right? It's it's blooming where you're planted. It's it's right where God has you. And for us, he has us in the sports world. But we want to proclaim the name of Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, we 
We talk to coaches and athletes and other people in the world of sports, and we try to highlight their story, their Jesus story. And so we're a sports ministry, but we're also sports media. Uh, so we have a media company that hosts podcasts like the one I do with Sports Spectrum. You know, our website and our magazine are all media sort of periodicals, but they are meant to be ministry as well. And our desire is to point people to Christ. Our latest magazine has Nick Ahmed, who's a two-time gold glove shortstop with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's on the cover and the title is Steadied by Christ, and we've known Nick a long time. He's got one of the more crazier uh, testimonies of people coming to Jesus that you will ever hear, and I'll just leave it at that. People can go look that up with with Nick Ahmed. But, yeah, we, we have our magazine, and like you mentioned, I think for the kids, you know, you're looking for clean content. If you're if you're listening and you're trying to raise your kids in a, in a faith home, you know, a Jesus home, uh, and they love sports. Like that's what we try to fill a, a gap for sports spectrum that maybe some of the other secular sports media companies can't do because it's, it's getting a little out of hand with some of the, we'll just say, uh, inappropriateness that you're seeing that's right. uh, highlighted in the sports world. Just look at a, uh, a specific championship parade that took place a couple, couple days ago. But I think what we try to do is we try to keep it clean and give, you know, parents and families an opportunity to, to, to see that there are some really good dudes and, and good women in this you know sports space that are trying to do it the right way. And they're people who are open with their faith. I find that to be really encouraging, especially for young people uh, to see yeah. that. So I really recommend it. Sportspectrum.com is where you find out. You can subscribe to the magazine. There's also a, a regular podcast. And um, check it out, sportspectrum.com. Jason, thanks for joining me today on uh, the Pastor Scott Show. It's always good to have you. And um, we can also find Sports Spectrum on, on the Twitter machine. Jason Romano is my guest, also Sports Spectrum. Uh, it's sports underscore spectrum on Twitter and Jason Romano, right? Yes, sir. All right. Yes. All right, Jason, thank you for being with me today. Thanks, Pastor Scott. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I will have the CEO of the Union Rescue Mission, Andy Bales. We'll be talking about homelessness in Los Angeles and an update on how things are going with the mayor's plans and other things. We'll be back with Andy Bales as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. In street homelessness, though. Mayor Karen Bass says she hopes to achieve that goal by 2026. That's just in three years. I would love to see that, actually, because I used to live here until we moved because of homeless and all that. But that would actually be very, actually awesome to see. Bass says long-term interim housing is a priority to get the job done. So we're doing everything we can to build housing in Los Angeles, but it still takes months. We don't want to leave people on the street while we're building. That was Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass talking about homelessness in Los Angeles. There are over 40,000 homeless people just in the city of Los Angeles and over around 70,000, I think, through the county. And that only includes Los Angeles County. That doesn't include Orange and San Diego County and counties all around Southern California in particular. We are the homeless capital of the United States, I believe California is, if you include especially San Francisco and uh, some other things. We... 
uh, are talking about how to deal with this. Karen Bass became mayor earlier this year, and she has received uh, some praise and kudos from even uh, advocates around Los Angeles, like Andy Bales from the Union Rescue Mission and others for her plans. There are lots of, uh, you know, I'm hoping that as we deal with this, and we've talked about this a lot on our show, that part of the reason that we have such a homeless crisis is because the philosophies are wrong. And I think there's two approaches. One is an approach that we're not taking yet, but it's to change the philosophy. It's to say, you know what, maybe the housing first model is not the right model. And that's that's the idea that I, I think it gets very, my opinion here, but it gets very political when we say that the reason that people are homeless is because housing prices are so high. And I'm sure that's True in some cases, but there's a whole lot more than that. It's addiction. It's mental illness. It is uh, usually addiction to drugs or alcohol or mental illness, or sometimes you end up on the street and it only takes a couple of weeks to develop an addiction to drugs and alcohol. And there's lots of other factors. In fact, you have almost no chance of becoming a homeless person ever in your life if you just do a few things. If you graduate from high school, if you do not have a child before you graduate from high school or outside of wedlock, and if you don't get hooked on drugs, it's almost impossible that you will become a homeless person. And and part of the reason for that is that there are plenty of jobs out there that if you are sober and if you are able to uh, just show up and do simple jobs, you can probably have some job. There's roommates. It's difficult in in California because it's so expensive, but you will also have the capacity to move to another state, which so many people are doing because of the prices. And, you know, it is uh, it is very significant that we are seeing such an increase in homelessness and, in my view, not really dealing with the problem. So there's there's one, and I think it's a complete homeless uh, approach to homelessness that has to be changed because I think you need to get back to sobriety. You need to get back to helping people become clean and sober. You need to help get back to a place where we realize that it's not just a lack of housing that's the problem. It is a lack of ability to keep that housing. It's a lack of ability to even manage your yourself with respect to that housing. It's a lack of ability or desire to keep the rules that if you're going to have a successful housing program with homelessness, there's got to be some kind of rules. A few months ago, there was um, an article in the LA Times talking about a Skid Row building that is hardly full where the whole building is available for homeless families to move in, but families aren't moving in. And the reason it's mostly empty, the reason that families aren't moving in is because they don't have any rules. There's no rules about sobriety. There's for other residents. There are not curfews. There is not rules about bringing in uh, prostitutes or other kinds of things. And why would you bring your family into that if you have that ability? You won't. And I think until we recognize that, we're not going to solve the issue. You know, Governor Newsom, I play this clip once in a while. If you want to know why we have such a problem, Newsom, Governor Newsom uh, says that, I think, in this very clip. Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. I know it's a hold-your-hand idealistic point of view that somehow magically, I mean, God bless some of you. If you're like me, I've been known to have a glass of wine at night watching some of the nightly news. Uh, We all need to self-medicate periodically. See, that's the philosophy. You you can just tear into that in so many different ways and realize that thinking is what is behind a lot of our policies. That clean and sober is a bad idea? No, it's not. 
It's a ridiculous. It's a ridiculous statement that he made. 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. And uh, we're waiting for Andy Bales to join us. But uh, if he doesn't, we can talk about this together. 888-528-2557. The other thing, though, short of completely changing the policies, which is what I think is ultimately going to be necessary. I take offense at our policies and strategies. Yeah, we have to change it, Governor. But the other thing is you also have to do your best to support whatever changes are happening from the people who are in power. And, you know, what I mean by that is that, you know, you can't always choose who wins the elections, right? You're going to vote, but somebody else might win who is holding to a philosophy that in this case, one, for example, I think that should change. However, I think that our politicians are changeable. I think they are persuadable. I, I do not give up on that hope. I do not give up on the hope that eventually people can be persuaded to change their mind, that people can be persuaded to um, move differently. And I also think that there's a lot of political pressures that are way beyond some of the things that we actually see uh, right in front of us. So we have Mayor Bass, who is proposing another $1.5 billion in aid to try to get people off the street. Um, and, you know, Andy Bales and other leaders who would like to see us move in a direction of clean and sober, because that's what they do in uh, Union Rescue Mission and other places that really believe that a person can be redeemed, right? That people can, that people can be healed, that people can be made better. Um, in the meantime, you have to encourage people to take steps in the right direction. And that is something that hopefully the mayor is doing and something that we need to be asking everywhere while asking the hard questions, you know, about homelessness by actually taking these issues on and realizing that this problem is not going to change unless you change um, philosophically. 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, if you want to call and join in. It's something that I think is going to continue to get worse as, you know, and I don't say that to be, you know, a downer, but I think we know that. And it's just like our lives. At the end of the day in our life, you know, if we are on a path that is a path to destruction, once we find ourselves on that path, then we find ourselves in a situation where um, if you don't take a look at the path you're on and you just keep walking down that path, you're going to reach destruction. That's what paths do. And if you want to know where you're headed, same is true in your personal life. The same is true in the same is true in the life of the government. If you want to know where you're headed, if you want to know where you're going to end up, look down at the path you're on. And if you stay on that path, where are you going to be? And that's one of the things that we want to talk about. All right, we have Andrew Bales, uh, Pastor Andy Bales, who is the CEO of the Union Rescue Mission. Thanks for joining me today. Andy, how are you? Doing great, Pastor Scott. Thank you so much. Hey, we were talking about homelessness and the plan that Karen Bass has to uh, try to get people housed. And I spent some time uh, while we were waiting for you to come on talking about you know, some of the pros and cons of housing first and those kinds of things. But I want to talk to you about uh, where we're at now. Karen Bass is our mayor, and she has declared an emergency in Los Angeles, and other cities are following suit. Uh, how is it going um, with the mayor and her plan now to, to help people? I think it's going well. It's like a dream come true uh, today. 
comment, commenting on the fact that she said we're going to immediately get everyone off the streets, which is something we've been calling for for uh, decades. Right. And uh, we can do it. We just can't continue to think that uh, helping people into very expensive, slow to develop units for a few are going to help uh, when the many are dying and suffering on the streets. And so I'm all for it, and I believe she can do it. What I do have to say is all of that housing that's been done so far is uh, is both the, the LASA and its partners and the mayor's Inside Safe program. About 14,000 people have been put into interim housing or, or housing. But uh, we still in L.A. are having more people fall into homelessness mm. than are getting out of it. So we need to double down. We need to help the mayor double down on all of her efforts, and we need to keep the activists who keep pushing for housing first only. Uh, that's what happened in California. Yeah, uh, California is the only state that doubled down on housing first and harm reduction only. Meanwhile, street homelessness skyrocketed. So we we, we lost transitional housing. We, we lost recovery. We need to get it back. We need to focus on recovery. Uh, the mayor has actually indicated to me she believes not only in recovery, but faith-based recovery. So, And I think, if Andy, she... that is super encouraging to hear, because I was talking about, you know, there's plenty of people listening, half the audience probably or more didn't vote for the mayor, but she is the mayor. And it's in, it's encouraging because she has a lot of political pressure against any support of faith-based or any movement away from Housing First or uh, the harm reduction philosophies. Isn't that correct? That's correct. And I, I want to say again, if we will back her, than those activists who want to keep the status quo, keep too many people on the streets while they continue on a failed myth of housing first and harm reduction policy with very expensive, slow to develop housing as the answer. Uh, We can help her overcome that opposition, but we have to speak up and we have to support her as she brings measures like this to immediately in three years, 2026, get everyone off the streets because that's where the damage is done. Mm. People are destroyed physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, emotionally, educationally, vocationally when we leave people on the streets. And right now, six people are dying per day on the streets, as as our mayor indicated. That's right, every single day. Andy, I have to take a break. Are you able to stay with me through the break? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you for being with me. My guest is Andy Bales, CEO of the Union Rescue Mission. And Andy, when you come back, I want to talk about, you know, why is it that activists are pushing back even against this mayor in what she would like to do? And what do you think has been successful at quick housing, at getting homeless people off the street in other cities? I know that you know some about that. So we'll talk about that when you come back. This is the Pastor Scott Show. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues with Andy Bales in just a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. My goal would be really to end street homelessness. Mayor Karen Bass says she hopes to achieve that goal by 2026. That's just in three years. I would love to see that actually because I used to live here until we moved because of 
homeless and all that, but that would actually be very, actually awesome to see. Bass says long-term interim housing is a priority to get the job done. So we're doing everything we can to build housing in Los Angeles, but it still takes months. We don't want to leave people on the street while we're building. That was Mayor Karen Bass talking about her plan to end street homelessness. With me to talk about this is Andy Bales, the CEO of the Union Rescue Mission. And Andy, before the break, we uh, you brought up a couple of things. And one of the things we want to do is support you and support the homeless people and support politicians, mayors, and people who want to make a difference. And uh, you've been supportive of Karen Bass and her plans but you also mentioned that there's activists who are really pushing back. What is it that they want? Why would why would people push back against a mayor who is really making doing something about homelessness a priority? Well, there are two groups. There are activists who say people have the right to live the way they want to live, addicted, mentally ill, on the streets. You have no right to interfere. Uh, but as you know, Scott, uh, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 say that if you see somebody stumbling toward death, you have a responsibility and you have God watching uh, to stop them from uh, falling into death. And uh, there's a God in heaven who will judge you, uh, your heart on whether you intervened or not. And then there's a group of activists who believe there is only one way, and that is permanent supportive housing, the harm reduction model, very expensive, slow to develop, uh, leave people on the streets for four years while the housing develops, and then move them in, and then once they're in, uh, they believe that the harm reduction model where you allow hard drugs to freely flow inside of that housing, uh, expensive housing, 800000 to a million per unit now, granite countertops, everybody deserves that, but only a few get it because they're living in a, in a mythology. They're living in an a, a, a unreal world where they think eventually – all the money should shift to housing first, harm reduction only. Don't even spend $10 on a bunk because that's a waste. Well, we believe that it takes all approaches. And fortunately, our mayor, Karen Bass, believes it will take all approaches. And you need to immediately house people in interim housing while you build. And I'm going to inject this just for an idea for our mayor. And I've said it many times, innovative, affordable, immediate housing, like mobile homes, container homes, 3D printed concrete homes. My son even has a yurt in his backyard that you can build for 45000 More efficient means of creating housing. We'll get there in L.A. if we create innovative, immediate housing. We won't get there uh, building very expensive, slow-to-develop housing. Yeah, and people should know that doesn't really always solve the problem because you still have to address addiction and you have to address all the causes that are leading people, but it helps people get off the street. Absolutely, and and our mayor has told me that she believes not only in recovery but faith-based recovery, and I was assured that Inside Safe would bring recovery services, uh, mental health services, case management, this time because we got debriefed and we know it didn't work the first round with project room key but mm-hmm. that has yet to show up pastor scott as yep. it waits on the mayor's new budget and state funds and it's just whether our federal government or our state government will allow for some recovery services and i went all the way to washington dc and spoke up with representative andy barr and others and said we need shelter plus uh, housing plus, excuse me, housing yeah. plus, where some of the money goes to housing that includes recovery and 
sobriety and supportive services, now, wraparound are th- services. Are there some large cities, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, there are large cities like New York that actually has more homeless people, except they're able to house most of them. Is that correct? Yes. New York is a better model than L.A., though L.A. officials try to say it isn't. They only leave 3,400, about 4 to 5 percent of the people devastated by homelessness on the streets with a vast array of interim housing network. And uh, we leave 70 percent on the streets. It's, uh, in, it's incredible uh, mm. how many people we leave on the streets. No other metro area comes close. Not right. Houston, not Miami, not New York, not Boston. No one. That is, a, I think people need to recognize that because we're not saying that New York is perfect or that they aren't dealing with some of the same philosophical issues. But the idea that they don't have so many people on the street uh, says that we are capable of doing something if we if we change how we're doing it, like you said. Absolutely. New York has two rules. One is if you uh, if you need a place to go, there's a law that says you have to get one. And there's also a law that says if it's 32 degrees or below, you have to come in. You're forced to come in to save your life. The equivalent of that in L.A. is 40 degrees and rain. We know people die in L.A. Mm -hmm. if it's 40 degrees and rain, like those atmospheric rivers that we didn't prepare for last round. Uh, But more people die of hypothermia in L.A. and San Francisco, excuse me, in L.A. than New York and San Francisco combined because of the sheer numbers we are leaving on the streets. Who can continue to live with that status quo? Yeah, and it's it's terrible. And, uh, you know, Andy, I think that there is just a wickedness, uh, and you see this every day, um, in not caring for people. It's not compassionate to have a – to make people wait on the street for a house they can't even – you know, that's a million dollars. They're not really going to up occupy. Would you say right. that there's just, you know, internally in the bureaucracy of it, just a lot of corruption? Somebody's making money. There's billions of dollars being spent and people are not getting off the street. Well, we know from the news last week, a city councilman and a developer both in, uh, uh, indicated that uh, they were taking bribes and uh, getting paid under the table and getting yeah. paid for lots beforehand. We know that corruption exists, but what bothers me the most is that uh, there's a tide that thinks this housing first is the only way, and it's uh, not necessarily evil people. It's just wrong-thinking, mm. naive people, but the effect is the same. People, That's right. Six people per day are dying on the streets. Yeah, and, and that is a great point there, is that the effect is the same, whether you are intentionally pursuing a policy and philosophy that you know is bad, or you aren't looking into one that obviously is bad. The effect is the same. People are dying on the street and getting worse. Plus, we're getting a new influx of um, migrants that are going to be, I think, bust here from Texas and other places. And so the number of homeless people and people needing help is going to continue to increase, isn't it? It absolutely is. We're overwhelmed right now with refugees from Russia, Ukraine, other countries, and uh, they they keep coming in. But again, our Bible, the Bible I read, says that we are to welcome them as as a Union Rescue Mission Christian organization. I'm only arguing uh, Christianity right now, not politics. Right. But as as a mission, we don't 
decide on uh, who deserves help and who doesn't. We welcome everybody who comes to our door with the compassion of Christ, and that's what we're going to keep doing at Union Rescue Mission. And what do we find that's different at Union Rescue Mission, and as well as some other Christian missions uh, in the Southland who are working very hard? What is the the biggest difference um, that you can share with people? We believe people can make a comeback through the power of Jesus Christ. And no matter what amount of money is offered by the federal government, if it causes us to lose the power of Jesus Christ to transform lives, it's it's uh, out of reach, because why would we trade the power of Christ for any amount of money? Uh, and that's what's different about Christian organizations. We also uh, embrace people with the compassion of Christ, and that's why we're over capacity everywhere. Uh, every one of our satellites is over capacity, Scott, because people want to come in where it's safe and sober and peaceful. And you have great stories. Your radio program on KKLA is called Amazing Stories from Skid Row. And I would encourage everybody to uh, check that out. Amazing Stories from Skid Row. You have amazing stories because you have stories of recovery. Absolutely. Power of Christ to transform lives. And 25% of our staff are former guests who had their lives transformed and are helping others now. And that's why we believe in recovery and, and bounce backs and miracle turnarounds because of uh, Jesus Christ. Without him, uh, we couldn't do anything. That's right. You can listen to amazing stories from Skid Row. It's on at 930 uh, weekdays here on KKLA. And uh, you can also learn about the Union Rescue Mission at URM.org. Is that the right website? URM, yeah, yes, URM.org. Andy, uh, we'll have to talk about it another time, but I understand that uh, you are being led to um, retirement or semi-retirement, or at least you'll be leaving the uh, URM at some point by the end of the year. So we still have you for a long well, time here in L.A. Yes, till December 31st, and I'm being relocated by the Lord uh, and my wife. My, my, my wife told me she's moving back to uh, Des Moines to hang out with our redheaded grandgirls, and I can join her if I'd like. And I took a big gulp and thought, uh-oh, I think I'm in trouble. And I was indeed. I had to give notice. And I'll be working, though. I'm, I'm, I'm relocating. I'll be working with uh, inner-city kids in Des Moines with a, a after-school, before and after-school feeding and education program, emphasis on the education. And it's just not right, Scott, the, the lady, my wife, who... Uh, swims an hour in the morning and then walks to three big dogs three miles each, nine miles. She's retiring. I'm going to be relocating and uh-huh. continuing to work. But. All right. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're still around for a while, and definitely God's will is spoken through our, our wives an awful lot, isn't it? Yes, true? that's yeah. what I meant by that. <laughs> yeah, Andy, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you for all the hard work you're doing here in uh, Los Angeles. Thank you, Scott. All right. Once again, the website is urm.org. When we come back, we're going to be talking about some bills that you need to know about to protect your kids right here in California. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.